everyone. Welcome back to the Noon Podcast, and thank you for joining us as we dive into the world of EMS with Carrie, a flight paramedic with a long and impressive career. In this episode, Carrie shares his captivating experiences as an EMS professional both abroad and in the U.S. From his time in the pediatric ER to his 911 responses, Carrie's stories will leave you in awe. Despite the challenges he's faced, Carrie's unwavering positivity and can-do attitude have propelled him to greatness, serving as an inspiration to us all. But there's more to carry than just his EMS journey. Hear firsthand how he navigates the fine line between his passion for EMS and his commitment to his family. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Carrie, well, thank you for joining us at the 911 Nonsense podcast. Can you go ahead and give me a little introduction of yourself? All righty. So my name is Carrie Woods. I'm originally from Tennessee. I uh, moved out to New Mexico in 2013. And uh, yeah. Ever since, I've been here working abroad, EMS, and very other different tasks. Uh, Married with uh, two children, ages uh, 7 and 12, and I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Um, So you've been in the EMS system a long time now. I've known you for a very long time. Is this where you saw yourself when you were little? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, for sure. Um, been in EMS for a total of 23 years now, and I knew I wanted to be in the uh, healthcare profession, uh, specifically uh, EMS. When I was like seven years old, uh, my uh, helicopter uh, air medical program back home in Tennessee, I saw a, fe- a helicopter fly over, uh, landed onto the hospital pad, and I knew that's where I wanted to be. That was, was it, medic. huh? Yep. So I was so. <laughs> so ever since then, I just kind of started researching, like probably back in middle school, um, just writing down plans of how I was going to get to that path of becoming a paramedic. That's awesome. Yeah, I did. I had a similar experience where I was young and I was, uh, my mom was driving me to a friend's house for a sleepover and I passed the, it was a volunteer fire department and they just happened to be pulling out for a call and I thought, wow, that's really cool. I think, I think I'm going to look into that. And I, at 18 on my own, I went to the fire department and got into the fire department and my EMS career kind of blew up from there. Right. So that was exciting. Um, have you always worked on an ambulance? Uh, for the most part, from year 2000 up until probably, I'd say about 2012-ish, um, primarily worked on the ambulance. I also done other work as far as like working in the ER. Um, then I got introduced to doing the overseas, uh, contracting work. Um, and then after that, just kind of ventured off and started doing other kind of work as far as getting into flight medicine, uh, doing more uh, traveling work overseas, uh, contracted with the military, mm-hmm. uh, civilian uh, contractor uh, with DOD and the uh, Department of State. What would you say has been your favorite so far out of all your experiences? Out of all my experiences, um, I would definitely say the traveling part. Traveling? Was. Where you went overseas, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what did you get to do while you were over there? Uh, while well, I was over there, so I initially done my first contract uh, in Iraq. Um, that was about 2010. Um, I deployed over uh, to Baghdad um, with the military as a civilian contractor. I stayed on the uh, base that was uh, Saddam Hussein's uh, palace. I took care of uh, the local uh, Iraqis, and then took care of... Uh, military personnel and uh, government contractors. 
How yeah. how were you treated while you were there? Were you receptive well? Uh, actually, are uh, very uh, receptive. Um, like they was eager to have us over there. Um, they was all about, you know, as long as you was putting in the kind of effort to kind of learn their culture and, you know, trying to learn their uh, language, Arabic, um, that you could just see, like, the how they would just interact with you and approach you. And, you know, they didn't feel like, you know, you were just there to, you know, ev- evade their country or they, they just greeted you, like, just open arms. Uh, and I... I was very appreciative of that because, you know, all the stuff that we've seen on TV, you know, as far as the war and stuff like that, it actually be over there firsthand, um, getting to see those, you know, different types of environment for myself. Sure. I think um, a lot of people are kind of afraid to head over there because of what we're seeing here, you know, on the TV and right. hearing in the news and all of that. So I think that's really cool. Um, how was the pay while you were out there? Uh, back then, the pay was awesome. Um, yeah, I was making, you know, over a hundred K for a year yearly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Salary, um, ups to, you know, one fifty uh, K. Then the biggest perks from that is, uh, doing your one year contract with limited amount of time, coming home back to any, uh, us territories. That's when you benefit from the tax free. So uh, you had income. to stay over there basically. Right. You couldn't come home to or visit go family to, or anything. Uh, here and there, but you know, to a point that way you didn't, uh, go past those uh stipulations sure to, that's to cool tax free, that so. sounds like it was a lot of fun yeah did you did you do anything crazy while you were over there uh travel i got to go to many different countries that i probably wouldn't have gotten to go to on my own like that yeah so, where was your favorite place uh dubai dubai um got to travel through uh zurich switzerland mm-hmm. uh got did you stop to, for any chocolate I didn't. Oh, I only, only traveled through the airport, <laughs> but I got to go out on the top deck of the airport. Got to see all out in the valley. Uh, so it was pretty awesome. That um, is cool. Got to go through Amman, Jordan. Got to go through Frankfurt, Germany. Um, just just the travels. I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's, I, mean, I could ask for more as far as like, that's just what I hear from sightsee. most people yeah. that go and do that kind of uh kind of work that's pretty cool yeah i considered it for a little while i just i don't think i could leave here for yeah that it's, it's tough you know especially you know for myself being married having you know children but my wife was very supportive and um i made sure i took care of home while i was gone for sure and um don't and say and the only downside of me traveling was i just wasn't able to take them with me yeah unfortunately um Call volume wise, would you say it was pretty similar to how it is here? Um, uh, no. Um, the acuity, um, high level acuity. Um, so like really sick people, really sick, okay. really injured. Um, a lot of critical care. Um, especially like the call volume was very low. Um, but we would sit on patients for like two to three, four days. You know, just trying to get them made it back out of the you know, facility, because it was like so, it was like a big old huge, uh, everything has to be done by a certain way. Would you say that there were like a lack of resources in the area or? Uh, no, no lack of resources. It's just, everything just took time. Yeah, everything had to be cleared. Everything had to be, you know, approved. Everything had to, so it just was like your typical, you know, you call 911 or you call for, Air medical, they show up and pick you up and go to the hospital. It's like, no, 
you know, you have to get clearances. Dot the and, I's, yep. cross the T's kind so, of stuff. Okay, cool. And so I know you worked in the 911 system here, which is a, a fairly high call volume. Right. Um, what would you say has been your most memorable call? What's something that you think about and it just makes you smile every time you think about it? In general, I probably, it's kind of hard to say, you know, every, every kind of call that you ever ran in EMS, uh, something sticks with you as far as, you know, how you've treated the patient, how you've cared for that patient, how you've cared for the family members. Um, I don't, I wouldn't personally say one call kind of trumps the other. Um, I, For me, I would probably say, let me just say this, I didn't know before coming out to New Mexico, to Albuquerque, from Tennessee, that the homeless population was as crazy yes. as it you know is. And some of my best calls have been just treating some of the intoxicated drunk patients that, you know, you kind of overlook, but then when you decide to, for some reason, work them up, you know, because something doesn't seem right, and you actually find something that's going on with them, like truly, like a seriously, you know, concern, it's like, that could have easily been blown off. Sure. But you actually... And I think that's probably a case that we see in a lot of right. the ERs here where people, uh, intoxicated patients will go in with head injuries that weren't recognized, right? right? That's a huge, yeah. huge uh, problem out here. Oh, yeah. I remember I, I, I found a patient down and out in a uh, parking lot of a location and midnight, pitch black dark in the parking lot, get out there, patient lying on the ground, go up to assess, not moving, uh, check his pupils and uh, unequal. And I'm like, well, I don't know if this is something new or if this is something old. So I just treated it as it was something new. Which took is him in. what right. we should be doing, exactly. right? Yeah. Uh, took him into the ER and the nurse called me back later on and said, hey, the patient has a, a subdural a head bleed. She's like, good call. Good call. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So it's good to hear that you were doing your job yeah. and they were doing their jobs yep. and they took you seriously, which is is good. Have you ever had a patient where you knew something was wrong? They you felt that they didn't take you very seriously? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that kind of. <laughs> so a good chunk of the EMS career that I can remember starting out was always taught and told that as a paramedic, um, we don't diagnose. Mm-hmm. You know. And which we all know is bullshit. Which is, yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, we have to have some kind of differential diagnosis. Or if it's, you know, meows like a cat, it's a cat. And that's the way you treat the patient based off of those signs and symptoms. So many times I can't even count on my hands that I've taken patients into the ERs. And they're like, oh, you know, just take them to bed too. You know, or I call in a stroke alert or a STEMI or a trauma alert, and you get there and nobody's nobody's they've, ready. They've already judged they've already, and said it's not yeah, serious, right? You You're know, coming in and, and it's BS. And you get there, they're looking at you like, oh, shoot. Like, well, I tried to tell you. <laughs> so I think it's funny. Like, I have a couple of stories like that where, like, one of my favorite ones is I had a gentleman who had complained of uh, lower leg numbness right. and tingling. And when we get there in his apartment, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. All the lights are off. He's got a TV at, that, that's playing a TV show. And then he's got a recliner 
next to it and he's got a huge ashtray full of cigarettes right. you know so i was like okay let's go you know so we had to stair chair him down his uh-huh. fourth floor story apartment <laughs> and get him into the truck and i kind of peek at his legs and nothing looks bad but his color was just a little off in the left leg so i was like he's got, got the pain yeah. yeah he's got the pain let's treat it like it's serious i told my partner let's go code three we'll call the hospital on the way, when I was doing my reassessment, I didn't feel pulses on the left right. leg. And still not a whole lot of color change, just enough, just enough still for my, you know, my tinglys to be going off. And uh, we get him to the hospital and the nurse is like, well, I have pulses on both feet. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, okay, cool. So I hung out and I was charting at the, at the desk for a few minutes, taking the few minutes that I could. And the Doppler guy that had gone in the room comes running out. And he's looking for the doctor. And I'm like, are you good, bud? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, did you find something? He's like, yeah, there's no, uh, he's got a full uh, left popliteal occlusion. He needs to go to surgery right away. And that just made me chuckle. I'm not going to go rub it in the nurse's face like, haha, you missed that. Good job. Um, But it made me feel better. And I think it hopefully made her second guess whether or not she should question all the paramedics that come in. Right. You know? So that that was a good one. Um, do you have any good stories with your, you know, your partner? Do you have any, or any partners? Do you, have you ever embarrassed yourself or done anything silly where you're like, well, man, I should have, should have known better than that. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, let's see, I, I wrote down. You came really prepared. Today. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I went through this, uh, sheet here and I was like, that just brought back some, some memories and That's stuff awesome. I kind of forgot about. And I was saying, uh, one thing was, um. Uh, I miss having the same EMS partner. Like back in the day, you would have the same partner for like years. Yeah, usually. You know, and now it's like you get a new partner like every so many weeks or to every so many months. Yeah. It's like now you're having to learn each other. You're having to learn, you know, what you're good at, what I'm good at. You know, don't have to worry about um, talking to one another and just making eye contact yeah. and just getting stuff done. Yeah, some boom, of the boom, best boom. partners you have, you don't need to right. talk to. You have that communication without saying a word and they've got everything ready for you or you have everything ready for them just to be able to, you know, successfully do your job. Gotcha. I remember a story when uh, we was on a bad trauma call, uh, car wreck, NBC rollover, uh, down an embankment. Um, Everybody was attending to this patient, trying to extricate, trying to get this patient out. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, there's too many people down here. I'm going to go back to the ambulance to get stuff set up. Sure. So I just, I, maybe I told somebody, I I just kind of disappeared, went back to the ambulance, into the back, started hanging uh, IV bags, getting IV catheters set up, getting the heart monitor set up, you know, just getting all this stuff set up. And I kind of peeked out. You know, they would start to get the patient out. You know, kind of a few minutes go by, I kind of peeked out again. They were starting to get the patient on the stretcher and roll them up the hill. And by the time they got to the back of the, and the, the doors, they all just like with their mouths dropped, like <laughs> oh. they was like, heck yeah, Carrie. Like that's what I'm talking about. They got I mean, everything yeah, ready. Everything ready. All I had to do was slide the patient in there mm-hmm. and start throwing lines in and getting fluids going and getting them on the monitor and you know, all it was like that's what I'm talking about. Front door service yeah. right there. And that's always been my that's always been my, my background, even when I was going through uh the EMS training. Like I always push myself above and beyond to, you know, cause that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, so it was a passion of mine to, 
you know, give it my all. And throughout my EMS career, you know, so many attaboys, you know, for job well done, for, you know, the compassion that shows with, you know, my care, um, how I treat my patients, how I treat uh, the family members. I mean, and it shows. I would so. say that having worked with you for so many years, I can attest to that. You know, you do show that side, yeah. and that's something that you don't see in a lot of healthcare professionals anymore. Right. You know, a lot it's treated like a job and not something that you want to be here for. Right. So that is one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you here to interview is because you have that outlook on life. Like I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it the best that I can every single day. And you show up every single day and you bring that and that's nice. It's refreshing to see. Burnout is real. Burnout Burnout is and compassion fatigue, PTSD. It is is all real. Um, How would you say that you battle that at home? So I used to work two to three uh, healthcare related jobs where it was EMS or two EMS jobs and an ER job or an ER job and an EMS job. And it was always two or three jobs I was working. So I was getting off one, going to another one. And some point in my life, I decided I needed to cut back. I needed to cut back and focus more on myself, focus more on my family, travel more, um, just be at home more. Um, so I think for myself, um, I come from a musical instrument background. I was in marching band. I was from middle school, high school, uh, playing the flute, playing you know all different kinds of instruments. So I actually still own the flute. Uh, every once in a while, I get on there and you know play it. Uh, I love listening to my music um, and traveling. Um, those are probably the biggest three things that kind of you know um, would help kind of mellow you out right. when you're having a stressful yeah. day. So you go home and you you play your instruments or you listen to music. What kind of music do you like? All kinds of music. Everything. Uh, huh? Everything. I have a, a <laughs> I have a jukebox in my head. A jukebox. Yeah. Oh, I feel you. I I, I, I constantly I mean, play I, music people, all the time. People see me bobbing my head. They're like, "So what are you listen to?" And I don't have no earphones no on. No earphones. Nothing. nothing They're yeah. like, "So what are you, you listen to?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, just the music in my head. I'm jamming out." Because <laughs> that doesn't make you sound crazy <laughs> yeah. when you're walking down the street, bopping your head yeah. with no headphones. Yeah. Everybody's like, I want what he's I was, got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's your What's your go-to song? Go-to song? Um, jazz. Jazz? Yeah, that's good. Like jazz, yeah. Jazz is good. I, yeah. I'm not a big fan of jazz. Okay. And more um, instrumental. I like just kind of, you know, just kind of like just listening to the... Just the notes in your head. Notes, yeah. Yep. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever like freestyle at home? Uh, I've tried, but... Yeah, it kind of worked for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the smarts to do that either. <laughs> now, as, as far as uh, like vocally, you know, on the instruments, yes. Yeah. On my flute, I can freestyle. That's cool. Yes. Is that what you played in marching band? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I played clarinet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get into marching band though. I, you know, I stopped it. Right. At uh, middle school because I didn't want to get up. I saw my sister go through marching band and having to get up really early every yeah. morning, and that just was not for me. Oh yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> it was not about that life. Um, so how do you feel about PTSD in the field? Do you think that right now it's something that's blown up or do you think that it's something that we need to pay more attention to? Um, definitely need to pay more attention to. Um, PTSD is manageable, but you have to want to seek help for it. Um, you, you can't manage it by yourself. 
Um, that's the that's the biggest thing is people have a hard time reaching out um, for assistance for help, uh, whether it's a pride issue, whether it's a you know personal, whether it's think that they're going to be judged or looked down upon, you know, um, and we see it all the time. People post all the good stuff, all the good stuff on Facebook, yeah. social media. And all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes, right? That like you, you can, never know of. You, you never, can portray that perfect, right. fake, happy life, but don't really understand what's going on right. in the background for those people. Right. I come from a background where I grew up, where we didn't really talk like that. I was, I was always hiding my feelings, and you know, was shy, and just kind of, you know, just, just kind of deal with it, mm-hmm. you know, and. Over the years, I have, you know, opened up. I have, you know, uh, talked to various people about issues and things that's going on in my life. And, you know, it's life. I mean, things happen, you know. And as much as I would love for it to be, you know, perfect, I'm not perfect. No, Nobody's perfect. Nobody so, is. Um, that's one of the things about getting involved into EMS is even when you're going through the training, it still doesn't prepare and teach you for all the stuff that we see, all the stuff that we deal with. Um, I think beyond, one of the yeah. worst phrases, I hate hearing it so bad, is, well, you signed up for this job. That is the, one of the most infuriating things I think you can say to an EMT or a paramedic, especially when they're going through a rough time. I've been told that several times coming yeah. up in the career. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we sign up to help people. That's why we want to do this job, right. right? You sign up because you want to help people. You want to help them and you want to guide them through some of the worst times of their lives. But we're taking that pain too. And yeah, we signed up for this job knowing that there were going to be really hard days, but I didn't sign up to see some of the things that I've seen. Exactly. You know, all the abused kids. Um, one of one of my last calls in the 911 field was a shaken baby. Right. And, you know, uh, deaf, blind, and dumb. That's how he's going to be for the rest of his life. Right. And they deliberated on the person that did that to that child for less than three hours, and now he's out and roaming free. Yeah, no. And no that was hard. Right. That was really hard and very frustrating because why do we do this if we can't help those right. who can't help themselves? You know what I mean? Ooh, that was frustrating. Oh, I bet. I know. <laughs> and, you know, get, didn't receive any of the support that I felt that I needed. Um, but I think that's kind of on us, too, to go out and find the support that we need. Right. And I think people forget that. It's not just going to be handed to us. And sometimes we might have to work for that. But we do have to go out and find it. Yeah, at times I feel like I'm on a downhill kind of slope of my career. Um I would love to think that I could do it for another 5, 10, 15 years. Um, and we'll just see how, you know, how my health goes, how the the EMS community, you know, continues to treat us sure. and, you know, the, the community community in general. Um, and that's just going to kind of dictate of, you know, if I stay in this career, you know, if I decide to, you know, make an exit. But overall, for the most part, I've been pretty pleased. Yeah. And you know? I would say that the EMS system in general, the healthcare system, I should say, is improving um, with letting people open up and right. providing the resources for EMTs, for nurses, for all frontline healthcare right. workers and all that. Um, 
there's a lot more resources out there now than there was when I started EMS or probably even when you started oh, EMS. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm a part of the uh, Facebook group for uh, paramedics and the National Registry groups. I get on there and I help kind of mentor a uh, bunch of the guys, that's, guys and girls that's going through the test for their uh, you know, National Registry and stuff like that. I was like, man, we didn't have that stuff back in the day. Like, no. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. Social but, media definitely can, I mean, it can be a hindrance in what we do, but it can also help. Right. And I, I've seen a lot of that in the last year or so, too, where um, anytime you're going to take a test, whether it's for your national, for your state, or even for an advanced right. cert, there's a lot of people that are out there willing to oh, help. Oh, yeah. Let me say this. Quit bashing one another and help lift each other up. I've seen that so many times, especially lately. Yeah. Especially lately, it's like everyone is putting each other down instead of lifting each other up. We all here to do the same work. We all go through the same schooling. We all go through the same training. It may be a different journey for you and I, but we all are on the same path. Help one another. Give back. Like, there's no reason why a person should be out there suffering by themselves when you have the resources to help them as well. You know, that's one thing I see in the social media as well. It's like just a ridiculous amount of just bashing that I see, like just putting one another down. Like it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's a huge yeah. joke, right? You're eating your young. Yeah. That's eating your young. That's what I've heard that phrase yep. many times. I agree. So, Carrie, I know that you're in a uh, flight capacity now. Can you tell us a little bit about how or what you needed to do to get into a flight paramedic position? Uh, yes. So... I've been flying for a total of seven years, and the uh, requirements to become a flight paramedic um, honestly depends on the uh, flight program, um, depend on uh, what part of the country you're trying to, uh, you know, get on with a flight service. But the general basic is uh, three to five years of uh, high acuity. They say 911 uh, paramedic experience, uh, meaning that you're getting various dip- different types of uh, medical and trauma uh, calls. Then, of course, you have to have your side courses or cards like your ACLS, your PALS. Um, then you get your uh, NRP, which is neonatal uh, resuscitation, uh, some kind of uh, trauma course like a PHTLS. And then uh, some programs require uh, doing the process, and some programs uh, give you uh, up to two years to get your uh, advanced certifications, uh, like your flight paramedic certification um, or your ground critical care uh, paramedic certification. And then that's usually uh, the way to get your foot in the door to the flight setting. So, yeah, um, I pretty much... We done all that and some. Yeah, I saw. I saw that you have a new PEDS certification. Yeah, so it's a uh, uh, through uh, University of Baltimore, Maryland. It's a uh, pediatric and neonatal uh, critical care transport certification, and I also done the uh, critical care uh, transport paramedic certification. Is that uh, the CCT? The CCMTP. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So that's cool. That's and those are no joke. Like I got my FPC this last year, and I have to say that I cried every single day up until I took that yes, test. Yes, I was. It's terrible. It's really hard to study for. Um, you know, they definitely suggest that you go through a course. Right. And I had never been through a critical care course. Right. So a lot of my studying I did on my own. Um, and then I used a lot of my resources. So a lot of the nurses that I know that are doing flight nursing, I talked to them about, you know, pathophys and right. things that I don't understand that I'd never done in the field, like antibiotics and right. antihypertensives and stuff like that. Because we don't, that's just stuff we don't yeah. use here. Um, with a ground transport time of usually less than 15 minutes. Right. Ugh, that yeah. FPC was terrible. <laughs> One of the hardest tests you ever take as a paramedic. Yeah, and I think I think the pass rate, and it could be different now, but when I took it, I think it was 60%, which is not a great number. Right. Um, and it's a very expensive test. I think I paid uh, almost $400 when I took that test. Yep. And that's that's insane. Um, throughout your flight career, have you had any big scares? Uh, yes, I have, unfortunately. Um, so we, as we know, um, when you get into flight medicine, um, like any other career, uh, that you do, it comes with the territory of risk. It comes with the territory of, you know, for the most part, when you're doing everything right, you know, Unfortunately, things can happen. Yeah, there's still things that can go wrong. Right. And so uh, I first started, I first got my first flight actually uh, in Iraq. Um, I was doing medevac over there, but it was doing like uh, transporting a patient from our base over to the international airport. So it was like a 20 minute flight. Oh, okay. I knew once I got back home from contracting overseas, I wanted to, you know, get a flight job. <laughs> you enjoyed it. And yeah. That was what you wanted yep. to do. Okay. And so, uh, I got my first flight job. Initially, starting out, the company was awesome. You know, I was super pumped. You know, that I was going to be doing helicopter and fixed wing uh, medevacs. And flying out of Albuquerque, you know, you got the mountains, the Sandia Mountains. You know, it gets pretty windy. Yeah, you're always going to get turbulence. Yeah, so it gets pretty turbulent uh, coming in for landing and taking off uh, to depart on these medevacs. And then especially this time of the year in May when you get the, the, the heat starting to come in and more turbulent. So, yeah, it gets pretty bumpy. And so about six months, seven months into my flight job, um, unfortunately, I went through a, uh, a near miss um, where we almost crashed. And that 100% changed my life forever. That uh, one event changed your that life. That one life, one life event. Can you walk me through what happened? Um, so we uh, had just taken a uh, critical patient that was on a ventilator, um, super sick um, from, um, where did we pick up at? I want to say Gallup to Flagstaff. Um after we dropped the patient off, headed back to the airport, it had just started raining. Um, we got in the airplane, done all of our checks, you know, as usual. Uh, me and my partner was exhausted because we, you know, had already ran like several flights already prior. Um, get in the airplane, close doors, we taxi out to the, you know, runway. Uh, we take off, 
um, headed back to Gallup. And I immediately fell asleep because I was exhausted. So all I recall and remember was the plane uh, taking off, pitch black, dark outside. It's like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Couldn't see anything out the distance. Um, the plane inverted, made a hard left or right bank, nose dive straight down. Uh, the plane flipped over uh, in rotation and put the plane in a auto flat spin. Wow. So the plane was spinning in a flat spin while it was dropping out of the sky. Wow. And it happened so quick that I was like, is this really happening? Like, like you couldn't tell if you were dreaming I couldn't really, or... Well, it's not so much as I could tell if I was dreaming or not. It was like... You hear about this kind of stuff. You, you, I'm like, is this really happening to me? Like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe this. And so as we're dropping and dropping, I'm like saying, like, this is it. Like, because we was at about 19,000 feet. And in Flagstaff area, the terrain is roughly about eleven to 12,000 feet. So we didn't have that much wiggle room. Pitch black dark. And honestly, I said to myself, Lord, if we crash, I just hope I go peacefully. I don't sure. want to be, you know. And so all we could do was just kind of embrace ourselves. Um, the plane stalled like two to three times that I could remember. Um, and it was pretty quick, but it seemed like forever. Oh, yeah, no, five seconds can last two years, yeah. you know? That's that's terrible. Because we just kept going through the motion. And I kept looking out the windows, and all I could see was, like, flicks of the light. Like, it was, like, rotating, spinning so fast. And, you know, the pilot was able to get us out that third time as a charm. And we was able to uh, head back. And that's how, even though I dealt with a bunch of stuff in my life, even before getting involved with the EMS, um, that's when the PTSD really hit me. It really Understandably. Hit me. And uh, I had to go through uh, counseling for about three months. And, you know, I told myself that because this was a childhood dream and a passion, and I was like, I could walk away from this career right now before I even really started like that. I'm only six months, seven months into being a newly flight paramedic. I can walk away from this, you know, but I was like, that's not what I want to do. Dang, I, I think wanna, a lot of people would have walked I away at that point. To, I want to continue to fly. I want to continue to, you know, advance in this role. This is my passion. This is what I want. And so, you know, I it, it took a lot. It took a whole lot. <laughs> um, I, can I can't imagine, even imagine. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you're talking about it. It's giving me chills. That's terrible. Um, do you feel that... You know, without saying any names, do you feel that that company took care of you? No. 100% no. Why do you say that? They treated me like I was another number. They treated me like... It, I've talked to people about this here and there um, for the incident, but every time I talk about it, 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 it literally wants me... It, it literally... I feel like breaking down the tears when I talk about it because I truly don't understand how a person like myself can be involved in an incident like that and just get brushed off like it was nothing. 
And I'll say this, you know, in the long run, it, it worked in my favor. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So. Yeah, that's terrible. That, um, and I can see it in your eyes, right. man. That's upsetting. <laughs> that It's scary yeah. and it's upsetting. And then to not have that support that you justly deserved. Right. And to be thrown under and, the bus and, for and, that. And all I could think about was, you know, if I didn't make it through this, how is my family going to be treated? Right. And it's something we all have to consider in our careers. And not just flight, yeah. but like right. on the ambulance. Anything. Yeah. Even in the hospital right. these days. You know, you never know who's going to walk through those doors. Right. Ugh, that's so, heavy, man. That's heavy. How are you dealing with it now? I'm loving it. Yeah, because I know you're back. You're I'm flying. Back. You're doing rotor and fixed, yes. right? And now you're doing with the the pediatric certification. So yeah. you have, you know, a chance for peds calls. Are you doing um, emergency response on your rotor wing? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So we do uh, emergency response. We do scene calls. And also I work for a hospital-based uh, flight service. So uh, on our downtime, I'm able to go down to the ER, help out, you know, down there. I'm able to go to the OR to do my intubations. Um, I, I'm able to go up to the pediatric floor and do my assessments. If I, awesome. If I feel like that I'm lacking pediatric skills or assessments, I can just pop in and say, hey, you know, can I hang out with you all for the day? And they'll let me do what I needed, you know, to get done. That's really cool. Uh, I feel like there's not a lot of services. And, I, you know, I'm limited in what right. I know, right? I only know what I know. But I don't feel like that's something that a lot of services can get. You know, we uh, – we fight for the skills that we get at my company, right. and it's, it's few and far in between. Right. So that's really cool that you get to work at the hospital and go and do all those. Yeah. And you have, it sounds like a broad scope hospital where you can pretty much get all of the skills that you need. Oh, yeah. Now we're doing, uh, I'm doing uh, balloon pumps. I'm doing the impellas. Um, yeah, I mean, name it, we're doing it. That's cool. So You guys are able to transport the balloon pumps on the fixed? Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, fixed and rotor. That's really cool. Those uh, things are so heavy. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have the they have the smaller sides uh-huh. as well that you can uh, the transport sides. Yeah, that's so. cool. Um, you know, barring the the flight uh, that you just had, what would you say has been your your least favorite or your most memorable worst call? Overall, or just in the EMS or the flight setting. It, overall. Overall. You know, I get asked that a lot. I think my overall, yeah, just because of the lack of experience at the time, and uh, not even that, it just just how the calls worked out. Um, but I had uh, two back-to-back uh, pediatric. One was a respiratory cardiac arrest. Um, and then an hour after that was called, we got toned out for a trauma arrest, uh, pediatric. One right after the other. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. And... Uh, I sat there and watched the, uh, the ER uh, work, both of the pediatrics, and uh, couldn't revive them. And, you know, at the time, it was like, it, that stuck with me for years. I want to say about 15 years or so, that just stuck with me. And I never really even talked about it like that. I just kind of, like, just kind of held it to myself. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, like, pushed myself to, um, I went and worked at, um the trauma center here mm-hmm. in the PZR just to get that pediatric experience because it had been a while. And then, uh, like I said, I went to go get the, uh, the pediatric and neonatal uh, certification, you know, just to get the exposure. See, and that's one you know. thing that I like about you is that you – 
come across something that scares the absolute shit out of us, right. you know, and instead of shying away from it, you're tackling it head on by going and get that pediatric certification, yeah. by going and working in the pediatric ER yeah. and the trauma ER. Like that's, that's really admirable. Um, cause again, a lot of us just take the call and right. Well, that sucks. Now move on. Yeah. You know, that's hard. Uh, it's not for everyone for sure. But in our line of work, I mean, we 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 have a wiggle room to be somewhat kind of choosy what we want to deal with or don't want to deal with. But for the most part, we're pretty much exposed to whatever's thrown our way. Just about everything. Yeah. You never and know so what you're gonna get. It's uh, I'd rather be prepared. I, I've learned that balance over over my career. I've learned that balance of when I need to be aggressive and when I need to pick and choose my battles. Sure. I know when to. I I, I just have that. Me personally, I just know. I, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it's just, it's what works for you, right? Right. It's like you get the, it's like you see the, the, the new, the new, the newly paramedic that runs all the calls to the hospital code three because yes. they don't know. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. You know, and then you come rolling in through the door with, uh, you know, something not critical, maybe not emergent, but something serious. Yeah. Normal traffic. Yeah. And, you know, you just all chill, lay back. You're like, I know this patient needs help, but, you know. And the biggest thing is if you can help that patient while you're on scene and doing your transport, then you've already got ahead of the game and getting stuff, you know, started for the patient. So by the time you get to the ER, you know, I've had plenty of times where it's like, well, you fixed the patient. Yeah. Like, literally, you fixed the patient. All right. <laughs> yeah. Recognition is a big key, right? Right. Like recognizing what's going on and understanding, putting all of those pieces to the puzzle together to understand and treat successfully. Right. right. That's hard. Um, so you've been doing EMS for a long time. You've been you've been on the ambulance. You've been in the ER. You're now you're flying. Do you have a personal bag that you take with you on every flight? Uh, I do actually. What kind of gear do you take with you? What do you feel is important that you need? Um. So because I do. Uh, rotor and fixed wing, I have to adjust uh, mainly because of the weight limit on sure. the helicopter. And then on the fixed wing is, uh, you know, you can take a lot more. Uh, so now, actually, uh, on the rotor, I'm starting to wear my vest that I have. Mm-hmm. So I have a vest. Um, it has uh, two big pockets at the bottom and then a couple other pockets uh, up top, a radio holster, and then a big pocket in the back. And mainly that is for like uh, my inner facility calls and my uh, scene calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has all my quick access stuff, like my IV catheters, uh, pretty much your what you need right now for uh, your, your medical calls. Your emergency stuff. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm really liking that. And I've gotten a couple of uh, inquiries at my flight job about <laughs> yeah, you know, how sure. do I like about it and, you know, uh, Kind of some of the input and feedback, because I think a couple of you know people up there looking at wanting to do that. Um, and then on the fixed wing side, I uh, have like a little small military type duffel bag, a little small bag that I usually keep, like because you never know when you're going to overnight somewhere. Yep, pair of underwear, <laughs> right? Yep, clean uh, skivvies, two brushes, uh, two paste, you know, deodorant, the basic necessities. I carry a uh, a bag of change. No coins. Interesting. Yep, because I like the vending machines. <laughs> um, 
and everything else is just they carry trauma shears on my uh vest yeah yeah a, like a pen light do you have yeah a pen, pen light flashlight uh just because we do uh the checks on the aircraft before we uh take off sure so go out there and do your walk around that's good do yep. you guys do that for fixed wing and rotary yep. just, fixed wing and rotary. that's good that's for, good before every lunch we get out there and we do our safety check make sure every all the doors are secured uh making sure all the boats are fastened um and usually all three of us me the, the nurse the pilot um or whatever configuration it is we all get out there and go counterclockwise one go the other way the other person go the opposite way and we just do our checks awesome and you don't deviate from that because be the one time that you don't do it and that's when something gets missed yep so that's- it's a true story. Yeah. So I think I know the answer to this. I think probably most of us know the answer to this already. But would you do this all over again? Would you get back into medicine and relive this career? 100%. 100%. Anything that you would change? Well, you know, <laughs> right when I graduated high school, I actually had a uh, full-ride scholarship to university to go for nursing school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you chose paramedic. And I chose paramedic. But you know what? I think, and I've been considering going back to school for my RN or, you know, PA route. Either way, I think I for sure make a pretty darn good, you know. <laughs> Same, uh, similar decision. Yeah. And I've gotten asked several times, you know, hey, are you are you the flight nurse or are you the nurse? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm the paramedic. I know. they like, oh, man, you, you, you sure could pass off or... They were like, because the way you give your report, the way you interact, the way you do things, they're like, heck yeah, I would sure. say, I would have thought you was a nurse. So, um, for the most part, we do the same work, just a different title. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, in in a flight capacity, we are the exact same level. There's still a huge uh, pay discrepancy, which is unfortunate. Um, I know, you know, I can... I can't speak again for every company. I can only speak for the companies that I know. But in most of the companies that I know, there's at least a $10, you know, about a $10 pay difference. Um, And I can tell you that in most of the cases um, that I've been working with partners um, who are flight nurses, I have a lot more experience and a lot more education with my bachelor's and I have the advanced cert. Right. And you know, there's still that ten dollar difference. It's kind of a slap in the right. face. Um, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix get it. there eventually. EMS has been coming up in the in the last few years with with recognizing that paramedics should be getting paid a little more. Now I will say this. Uh, so at my flight job, I'm required to have, uh, of course, the New Mexico state paramedic license, and then um, for licensure, that's required. Mm-hmm. Uh, National registry. Uh, is an option but not required. Uh, then, of course, your advanced certification, like an FPC, that's required. Or if you come on board and already have it. But because I have my pediatric neonatal uh, critical care certification, because I have the CCEMTP, and because I have the National Registry, the hospital pays me an additional $4.50 an hour. Wow. $1.50 uh, per certification an hour towards my pay. That's awesome. Pay attention out there, flight services. <laughs> yes. So is there any advice that you would give um, to your younger self if you could go back? Yes. And I actually wrote this down. Well, to my younger self, um, I think I moved at a pretty decent pace 
as far as, you know, uh, experience and advancing. But I also think a lot of years went by where I probably could have moved a little bit faster. But in a nutshell, I mean, I only moved as fast as life would allow me. Sure. You know, I mean, there was plenty of times where I wanted to, you know, go back and get the certification or do this and do that. But because of the work schedule or because of family life or, you know, just to have the time to, to do it. Um, and then also uh, the younger me would truly value that family time because as I'm learning, I have learned that you don't get the time back. You don't. Yeah, I think a lot of us miss out on that. And that's something I've discussed a lot with a few of the people that I've had on here is, you know, we see that over time and we take as much over time as we can. We do miss out on a lot of uh, family time and hanging out and personal time. Right. But then I also wrote down here, um, what advice would I give to others? Um, And I just wanted to say, uh, ask yourself, what is the reason uh, why you want to get into EMS? Becoming a first responder, EMT, or paramedic is a challenge because going through training doesn't completely prepare you for the real-life situations until you're thrown to the wolves. That's a great piece of advice, man. Well, I appreciate you coming out here today. Um, are there any programs that you're involved in um, for charity or Anything that you're helping out with that you might want to shout out before we end today? Um, no, I'm not particularly a part of any programs. Like I said, I on the social media, I'm helping out with uh, a couple of different groups on there, uh, the paramedic groups, the national register groups that some of the um, people have put together. I, I get in there, I jump in, I kind of help, you know, so uh, just letting people advice. know that those those resources right. are out there so and they're check available. Check out on uh, social media, Facebook. There's tons of groups out there for uh, you know pretty much anything as far as like traveling, work, uh, studying. Um, another friend of mine is working on something else. Can't mention it just yet, but uh, it's uh, geared towards pay. Awesome for EMS. Cool. So, well, when that comes out and you're able to talk about it, yes. we'll bring you back. Okay. Alrighty. Heck yeah. Alright. Thanks, man. I appreciate All right, it. Alright, thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate no it. Thanks for listening to the 911 Nonsense Podcast. Please remember to comment, review, and share with friends if you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested, we sell all kinds of noon merch at samspursuit.com. Again, thanks for listening and see you next week.